Welcome to the Grazing Grass Podcast, episode 87. I think the biggest thing for me, there's a lot of good information out there in the world, but make sure you apply it in your context. You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers. And every episode features a grass farmer and their operation. I'm your host, Cal Hart. You're growing more than grass. You're growing a healthier ecosystem to help your cattle thrive in their environment. You're growing your livelihood by increasing your carrying capacity and reducing your operating costs. You're growing stronger communities and a legacy to last generations. The grazing management decisions you make today impact everything from the soil beneath your feet to the community all around you. That's why the Noble Research Institute created their Essentials of Regenerative Grazing course to teach ranchers like you easy-to-follow techniques to quickly assess your forage production and infrastructure capacity in order to begin grazing more efficiently. Together, they can help you grow not only a healthier operation, but a legacy that lasts. Learn more on their website at noble.org slash grazing. It's N-O-B-L-E dot org forward slash grazing. Be sure and listen in the upcoming events for grazing courses coming near you. On today's episode, we have Jake DeWoody. He's a regenerative farmer in Arkansas, so not too far from me. Today we talked about his journey getting started using chicken litter, leases, and the Shade Shanty 600. Yes, you definitely want to catch it. Wonderful episode. Before we talk to Jake, 10 seconds about my farm. Well, today we're going to follow the pattern from last week. We're not going to talk about my farm. We're actually going to talk about a past guest on the show. On episode 44, we had Callahan Maynard on. He was just getting started on a few acres. He'd purchased some Aberdeen Angus and with the goals of grass finishing them. Well, I'm excited to to announce that he just took those in for processing the other day. It's exciting to see that journey get to this point. And if you happen to be in Northeast Oklahoma and you're looking for a side of beef, He's got some available. Anyway, congratulations, Callahan. I know it's been a long process to get to this point. And with that said, let's talk to Jake. Jake, we want to welcome you to the Grazing Grass Podcast. We're excited you're here today. Well, I'm terribly excited too and a little anxious. It's been quite the adventure, but I'm ready to give it a go if you are. Oh, I'm sure it will go wonderfully. To get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your operation? Yep. We are in kind of the southwest corner of Arkansas. Most people know where Hope, Arkansas is from President Bill Clinton. We're about 30, 35 miles from there. So oh, yes, kind of a quiet little corner of the state. There's just not a lot of exciting things that go on, but it's, it's, I was born here locally kind of been here most of my life. I traveled for about 12 years. I worked uh, basically construction, you could say. And uh, so traveled around the country, saw a lot of country. Growing up, uh, the place that's ours now was my father's. 
uh, he bought back in the in the mid 80s from another family member and he operated it you know the whole time I was a kid up until just a few years ago when he passed away and uh, it was always a small operation but you know decent size for our area we're a lot of really small farms you know big oh, yeah. guys like five six hundred acres you know most of us are somewhere between 50 and 100 so anyway you know grew up kind of in the industry very conventional i mean we just cows were out most of the time we just ran a bull year round you know when dad needed to get some money together to go buy a, a tractor or another hay baler or something we'd round some calves up and carry them to town <laughs> yeah. which the cows weren't really his thing he was actually a custom hay guy and that was his mainstay. The cows were just kind of an accessory to that. So that's a job I don't want. You know, I used to hate it as a kid. Of course, I was the oh, I was yes. the kid on the open cab tractor when it's a hundred degrees yes. and yada yada yada. Yeah, and, you uh, gotta start at the rake tractor and work exactly. out. Exactly. And you know, the funny thing is, in my opinion, the rake guy is the most important guy because the baler's got to follow the rake wherever he goes. <laughs> Yes, that's true. Um, so I had a lot of those stern conversations with my dad about, you know, straight lines, how to make the turns, you know, the whole nine yards. But Oh, yeah. So, you know, getting out of high school, I was, I liked farming, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't into it to the point that I wanted to buy my own place and stuff like that. So I traveled for work for a while, did a few other things. And then right before COVID came, uh, I guess it was about 20, maybe early 2020. My dad had kind of got a little bit, his health had degraded a bit. And he said, no. you know, hey, I need some help. I'm not really ready to completely give up everything. But, you know, if you want to work around here, I'll keep you some stuff to do, which basically means I'll work you for free. But that's fine. So I got back <laughs> into yes, it. Yes, I understand that. You know, got back to doing some hay with him. And I'm like, you know, I kind of miss it. You know, the, the traveling life is... It's hard, especially with family. And uh, my oh, wife yes. and I, we've got two kids. So I was interested in getting back home. So I found a job, a local job, and ended up starting to operate dad's place. Just, you know, a few cows, nothing special. Did a little bit of hay. And then for whatever crazy reason, in December, it was 2019, uh, me and my partner, now business partner, decided to buy out a 140-head cow-calf operation. In the middle of winter, which we, we dove off into it because I had a bunch of extra hay that I hadn't sold that year. And that was fortunate. Oh, yeah. So I'll have to say that was one of the hardest things I ever went through was diving. Because, I mean, we went from like 40 head max to 140. And oh, yeah. That February, we ended up that we had one of the heaviest snows that we've gotten in the area in the last 20 years. I mean, it was like two feet of snow. And I was just sitting there thinking, of course, that was when all these cows were set to calve, January and oh, February. Yes. It was tough, but it was really eye-opening for me. I'm like, okay, you're in recovery mode then, rolling out hay, I'm building shelters for them, you know, put them up on the tree line. You know, it was, I forget what we ended up, our feed bill ended up being that winter. It was astronomical. I could have bought me a no, decent pickup so. truck. I remember that. Oh, yeah. And, you know, from that point, I guess that was when the inclination kind of started that, you know, maybe there's a different way to approach this, but it was just like a little kind of a bug in your ear. I wouldn't no, put yeah. a lot of thought into it. We were just doing the normal grind. You know, we would 
camp twice a year, once middle of winter, then another in the middle of summer, basically. And we ran our bulls on a three-three rotation, is what they call it here. You run them three months in, pull them out for three months. Three months after that, you put them back in, just over and over again. Oh yeah. So you know when you gather calves, you've got everything from you know fresh wean to six hundred pounders out there, and you know that makes it difficult. So that was kind of one of our first things was tightening up that cabin schedule, and boy that helps a lot. You know that was kind of the second thing that I noticed. And it, it was really strange to me now to look back. It's like you saw all these signs that what you were doing wasn't working that well. And, you know, now oh, it's yeah. like reading a billboard. You know, it's like, oh, my, you should have <laughs> oh, yes. done this. You should have done that. You know, your life would have been so much easier. Would have saved a lot of money. Uh, mm-hmm. So, he, you know, that was kind of how that progressed. And starting out... That that winter was actually kind of we we lost several calves and that's I mean when they were dropping right in oh, two yeah. feet of and I think it was the third or fourth one I called my wife I said hey I said we've got to do something I can't take you know I just can't stand it and so the next one I found I I put him in the tra- actually still have him is he's, he's our forever steer I call him but oh. he's got his own name and everything but. Put him in the tractor, warmed him up, brought him home. He actually lived in our bathroom of our house for, I forget, it was almost a week. Just trying to get him warmed up oh, and turned wow. around. And we spent an exorbitant amount of money getting this little guy on the right track. But he made it. So we set up a, a calf barn behind the house where we could take in these ones that were problematic. And that was really what started, because then I, I, you know, I had five or six calves there at a time. So I got some manure and stuff like that building up and I've got to clean this up. That was what actually started the compost thing. And there's a gal, I actually heard her mentioned the guest that you had that released today. I was listening to your episode earlier, mentioned Dr. Elaine Ingham. And she's the real reason that kicked off my, I guess you could call it regenerative journey. When I started studying her work and, you know, I had these calves there behind the house. We're feeding them, you know, cleaning out the pen, the whole nine yards. So I build me a compost pile and kind of start working on that. And I, the first thing I did was I put it in our, in our raised bed garden that, that spring grew some of the most delicious cherry tomatoes I've ever tasted. And I'm like, immediately, my first thought is you got to get this out into the pastures. Oh yeah. So that was kind of how my, my compost journey started, which it was it's a lot easier to do in a raised bed garden than it is to do over a 60 acre <laughs> hay meadow. From Dr. Elaine Ingham's work, my next stop, and I don't remember exactly how I got there, but I got a book written by a gentleman named Charlie Massey. He's an Australian, and I wish I'd have wrote down the name of that book. I don't have it on hand. Something, let's see here. I think I've got it right here. I think it's been mentioned on your podcast before. It has. Call of the um, Reed Warbler. Cannot... That's the name of it. Yes. And and I have not read it, but it, it's been mentioned a few times, and it's on one of those to-read lists, yep. but I haven't got to it. it it's a good read. I, I enjoyed it. And part of that book goes through stories of, of people that he interviews around Australia. And so after I read it, then I kind of started digging into these other people. Charlie Arnett was one of them, and, and then I found out he had a podcast. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was the first one that I really 
started listening too hard and you're getting, getting some different ideas because in my part of the world, the information is, it's pretty stagnant. The local NRCS office, I mean, they talk a little bit about subdividing pastures and they've got some programs for stuff like that, but that's really about it. And oh yeah, so I was, which I, I'm a person that when I get interested in something, I'm hungry for information. So I start, you know, I'm listening to the podcast and then every time they mention a book or something like that, I'll go on Amazon and buy it and read it and dive through it. That really just started, I mean, a waterfall of information coming in. And of course, I want to try everything all at once. And that's <laughs> right. It's really hard to do. So rolling back to our home farm, that was my dad's place there. Uh, the main place is about 60 acres. And I had been using it for basically a big hay meadow, which the ground's a little bit poor for that. It was a cotton farm back in the, I want to say up to the mid sixties. And then from there it was oh, yeah. pasture on out. And man, that ground is so hard where that old cotton field is. You can still, when you drive from east to west, you can still feel the rows, you know, 50 oh, years yeah. later. It's, huh. it's crazy. And being on that piece of land basically my entire life, I noticed our hay crops were going down every year, which, you know, we didn't do hay like, I know some of the guys out west that fertilize and spray. We didn't do all that. We were basically just mixed grass, uh, a lot of Bermuda, Bahia, stuff like that. You know, my dad's thing was, hey, it's good enough for the cows to eat in the summer. It's good enough to roll up, feed it to them in the winter and yes. keep them out of lick tub or whatever to kind of keep the condition up if you need to. And it, it did work for the most part, uh, loosely, but uh, anyway, back to that, the hay crops, I just noticed every year that I was putting up less and less hay. And I got down to the last year before I made any changes out there, we pulled 93 rolls off 60 acres the entire summer, which I mean, I, as a kid, I remember we pulled three, 400 rolls and, and back oh, yeah. then we were running a five foot wide baler. So. The rolls were, there's a lot, 20% more, more hay in there at least. So my first step was there's a, a guy around the corner that's got a layer of chicken houses. So I started buying the litter from him, just cheaper than fertilizer. And, oh. and he's like a half a mile down the road. So it didn't cost me a lot to get it put out. Oh, that's nice. And cause, well, I should throw this mention in there too. I had some, I had the USDA office come out and do some soil samples on the place. And they came out, we set up the grid and pulled all the samples. And the guy calls me, I forget, like a month later, he says, I got all your results back, you know, swing by the office and we'll talk about them. I was like, all right, cool. Sounds great. So, and now mind you, this is 60 acres roughly. And so I go by the office, I'm talking to him, I'm looking at it. I'm like, look, like, I understand some of this. I understand pH and NP and K, but I don't understand all the other stuff. And he goes through there and he says, well, let's write you up a program and you can take it by the co-op. So he writes me up this fertilizer regimen and lime and everything else. And I didn't notice at the time, but he had this kind of glint in his eye and he was pretty good at hiding it, but I noticed it afterwards. So I, I bebop in the co-op and I hand him to him. I said, what will this cost me? And guy punches around on their computer for a few minutes. He said, it'll be about $27,000. Oh, and I said, wow, thank you, but no, thank you. Right. I can't yeah. do that. I said, I'm pretty sure even if I had the money, I wouldn't. And I don't think the bank will loan it to me. <laughs> so 
I go back to the USDA and I'm like, hey, what do I do? He said, well, I knew you'd be back. Find you some layer litter if you can. That'd be your best bet. If not, get whatever litter you can find and put two tons of lime per acre on. So that was where I started. I put some lime out, started putting the broiler litter out. And the guy I get the litter for, or excuse me, layer litter. I said broiler. Apologize for oh, that. Oh, yes. But uh, the guy I'm buying it from, he puts it out too. And he says, look, you got to give it three years. So, okay, I, I understand that. Nature works slow. He said, you'll see some benefit, but it really, you got to give it some time. So I never did notice just a huge increase. I mean, the hay crop started creeping up little by little, but last spring, this would have been about two and a half years after I started the litter. We had a, a small crop of, of replacement heifers that we had pulled out of the big herd and were needed somewhere to put them. So we put up some more fence around the place and, and brought that. I think there's 24 of them out there. And naturally I wanted to try, you know, I've been reading about rotational grazing and all this stuff. So like, this is my test bed now. So I go buy a bunch of electric fence and all, you know, just all the things. And of course, you know, these gals have never seen an electric fence before. And, oh, yeah. uh, I, I started, I had a, uh, I think it's a Gallagher S 100 solar charger and we had bought it from something previous, but I'm like, I put it up, I put them kind of in a pen. It was starting spring. So I was still feeding a little bit of hay. The, the grass hadn't really kicked off yet. And so I, I split the pen in half with a piece of poly wire up an old piece of poly wire. It wasn't even new stuff. And they blew through it. Well, this isn't any good. So I put it up again and I put up, I think I ended up putting up four or five strands of it on, on just the plastic co-op T posts and yeah. running that across there. And they kind of respected it, but not really. And I forget what podcast I was listening to, but somebody mentioned the Taylor Cyclops fence chargers. And oh, yeah. so I, I got on the internet, I ordered one. I, I think it's a 16 or maybe a 12 jewel. It's stout. Strong. Yeah. I love those Cyclops. Man, that thing is a tank. <laughs> I, I tell you another story some other time. It, it got me, I got a full blast from it about three days ago. It's the first oh. time I've ever been hit, you know, completely full contact with the ground with it. And wow. Yes. Make your funny bone tingle. Oh, for a while. Yeah, it will. So I hook this tailor up and I run that hot wire across there. And if you remember back, I was telling you about my, my forever steer that we saved. Yes. He was our first customer to the Taylor Cyclops and buddy, he told everybody else about it because that they, they were instantaneously broke to hot wire. Oh yeah. It, I mean, it was just night and day. So I started rotating from that point on out and it. It was, I, I think really what happened, I primed the land with that chicken litter and yes, when I put those heifers across there, and of course I don't really know what I'm doing. So I'm guessing I give them about a day and uh, I do try to move them every day, especially in the growing season, you know, cause if I'm going to try something like I want to give it my best effort. Oh yeah. So we start moving them, you know, every day and I'm looking at the grass. I'm like, this stuff is you know, it, it's exploding under their feet. And of course, now I know that I was going too slow, but I didn't know that at the oh, time. Yeah. So, yeah, but man, it, it was really impressive just watching those, you know, watching those animals move through there and just the impact 
it's just so fast from from that action and i was man there's really something to this stuff and you know you keep digging in you get deeper and deeper and deeper and then i you know i find all these you know because everybody's got an opinion on it and you know some people got one style some people got another style and of course none of them are really in my type of environment with my type of grass and so i really didn't know what to do i just kind of kept moving every day and if you know, if they griped at me a little too much, I'd give them a little more. And if they were, you know, if I was going out to move them and they were kind of still just laying around and, and moving up slowly, then I'd tighten them up a little bit. Really saw some good action out of it. Jumping back to Arkansas, I went to college with a gentleman from DeQueen, Arkansas. Oh, that's not too far. And we told everyone he was from L.A. They'd be like, from L.A.? Yeah. Lower Arkansas. When I, when I traveled for work, it's funny you mentioned that joke. When I traveled for work, I spent a lot of time out in California. You know, hey, where are you from? Of course, they notice your accent from a mile away. Oh, yeah. And, you know, L.A., the area anyway. And they're like, what part? Like, we've never heard anyone that talks like you do. Like, what part of L.A.? I'm like, kind of the southwest corner. And they're like, what's this guy talking about? I'm like, you know, lower Arkansas. <laughs> right, and they're yeah. like, oh, jeez, you know. But it, it would get them every yeah. time. Oh, I'm sure. That litter is amazing stuff. We, you know, we had chicken houses in the late 90s, early uh, 2000s. And that broiler, we had bro- broiler houses. So we spread that litter on uh, my dad's place. And it was dug for coal in the, I want to say the late 70s. So it wasn't, it was put back but it wasn't put back nicely. Right. They mainly put the subsoil on the top and it couldn't grow good rocks. <laughs> we started putting that litter on it and those poor rocks grew good grass. <laughs> it was amazing. It's, it's, yeah. it's powerful. The gentleman I actually get my litter from, he clear cut, I, I want to say it was like 20 acres and, you know, he had them come in and clean it back up and he put a heavy, I forget how many tons an acre, but, but it was a lot. Oh yeah. I mean, the next year there's Bermuda grass out there that's like, you know, a foot and a half deep. Oh, it's just, I imagine it's insane. so, yeah. So very, very powerful tool. Yeah. So before we jump back to your heifers and how they're doing on there, you found the book, read Webler, Wobbler. Call of the Reed Wobbler. Yep. Yeah. And you started researching that more. Was, was there other things that led you to that decision to get interested in that, or is it just kind of a trickle here, trickle there, and then you, you follow this well, rabbit hole, think, this rabbit hole, and soon you're deep. I think a lot of it was like those little inclinations, like, you know, it's the cabin in which our snowstorms are few and far in between, but if they right. happen, they're going to happen in the wintertime, you know? So it yeah. was the stuff like that, the, the hay crops going downhill, you know, looking at the cattle performance and I think, I think all those things kind of built up over a few years there. And oh, then, yeah. you know, when this other information starts coming in and you're like, okay, you know, this kind of makes sense, which, you know, I never want to buy anything at face value. I always want to, you know, get the information, maybe fact check it a little bit, which that's maybe not the best term these days, but I want to do my own study. <laughs> right. I get it. Yeah. And, and a lot of it is finding people that are, that are doing it. And and that's the thing that's so beautiful about the internet today. I mean, there's somebody recording everything they do. 
Oh, yeah. And so, you know, you can kind of get a little bit of proof of concept without actually having to do anything yourself. But I think all those little things were really priming the system. And I was... Oh, yes. Yeah. You know, we were... We didn't put out a lot of feed on our main herd, but between the hay, which it costs us a lot of money to put the hay up, and then through the wintertime, we would be putting out a ton of feed every week, basically. When you start hearing about the guys that are like, you know, I'm running a thousand head of cows in North Dakota, and I don't own a tractor, and I don't put up hay, <laughs> how, how do you do that? Like, I, if you can do it there, right, surely yeah. I can do it. Surely you can in L.A. Yeah, you know, which... That just, that was one of those things that struck me. And I forget who it was I was listening to that, that t said that first, you know, running that many head up there, you know, with basically no equipment. Oh like, yeah. You know, that, that just seemed at the time seemed really far-fetched to me. And of course I'm trying, this is my first year I've tried to do any stockpiling, which has been a success would be a stretch. I, I haven't had great success with it so far. Now, I, I have to say my stockpiling for the last three years let's see this is 23 22 21 were not good i guess 20 did pretty good yeah. but we've had dry falls and it's just we're not having much luck with with the way i've been doing stockpiling right. so i may have to change up what i'm doing to account for dry years well and i yeah. so this year i kind of handicapped myself i wanted to stockpile basically it was our our on-farm hay meadow it's about 10 8 12 acres i guess total and so I cut it early in the spring, which was a mistake. I wish I had to cut it and rolled it, but I did. And, and then I left it just awesome. I just let it do whatever it wanted to do. And I started, it's been about 10 days that we've been into that little meta and they cherry picked out all the good stuff. And I'm going to come back to it. There's a lot more in there they can clean up, but I've rotated them off to another area and I'm doing some, I don't guess you'd call it bale grazing. I'm unrolling it, but it's, I'm. You know, I'm still oh, yeah. moving them every few days, but I'm unrolling them a little bit of hay every couple of days. But I really handicapped myself. I wanted to drill in some wheat and ryegrass and other stuff. So I split the farm in half and I planted 30 acres of it. So I've got to make that other 30 last all winter. And, oh, yeah. You know, we're going to be fine doing it with hay, but the idea of getting completely away from hay seems, right now, it seems like a long, long off goal. But... Fortunately, we are still grazing and almost everybody else around us is strictly on hay. So, oh, yeah. you know, there, there is a grain of truth there in art anyway. So we'll have to see how it goes from there. Right. Yes. And circling back to the internet and, and hearing these people and seeing what they're doing because YouTube podcasts, great resources out there. Did you have any local people? that you were able to go visit and see what they're doing? Well. Or were you relying upon mainly the internet to bring you the information? So there's actually was one guy right off the bat. There's a gentleman, it's actually a distant relative of mine, but he was taking care of the herd of cows that we bought a few years ago in the wintertime. He was taking care of them for the gentleman that owned them. And he, at the time, had just got on the Greg Judy bandwagon. And... You know, he sold his hay equipment. He was putting up a bunch of poly fence and stuff like that. So I had heard a little bit of it from him, but he's kind of a quiet reserved guy. So I didn't get a lot, you know, I'd kind of prod a little bit. Hey, what are you doing? You know, is it doing any good? I just didn't get much. Fast forward to a couple of weeks ago, and this is actually a funny story because 
you know, prior to, to hearing about Greg Judy, I'd never heard of a South Pole cow. I mean, we got, oh yeah, you know, black Angus, a few red Angus around, some Herefords, some Brahmas. That's a, a few Charlays here and there. That's as, about as diverse as we get. Just recently, I was working on a, I do a little bit of mechanical work on the side, and I was working on a, a bulldozer for a guy changing a starter on it. And he came by the shop to pay me after I got through with it, and he saw my, my poly reels on the back of my four-wheeler. And he's like, hey, are you strip grazing? I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, that's cool. He said, my dad started doing that. I forget. In like early to mid-2000s, I'm like, really? I'm like, where's your dad? I want to oh. talk to him. He's like, well, he just passed recently. Oh man, I just, just missed it. You know, he, he was doing the rotations. He had a few South Pole cows, the whole nine yards and just never knew it because, you know, everybody, like I said, they're kind of like, like the other guy, they're a little private, a little reserved. And especially in this area, everybody knows what you're doing. So if you're doing something different, you kind of want to keep it to yourself until you figure it out. Oh yeah. I don't have that luxury. I'm on a main highway so everybody can see what I'm doing and. And I get some questions about it at times, but just to know that there was somebody else, you know, so, so close. I mean, this guy was, you know, straight line shot, maybe five miles from it. I just, oh yeah, I never knew, you know, never. Yeah. Well, a funny story with that about uh, a few years ago, there's a ranch north of us sold. I kept telling my wife, why don't we go buy it? And she says, because we don't have two and a half million dollars. So I said, well, valid point, but the people bought it and then they've chopped it up. Yeah. So it's no longer this nice ranch with so many acres continuous. But one of those areas, I don't know how big it is. They have poly wire strung up and it's about six miles from me. And I drive by there and I tell my wife every time we start down, it's on the highway and we don't go that way very often. But when we do, I'm like, oh, I hope they're out there moving cows. <laughs> She's like, we're not stopping. I said, oh, if they're out there, we are. Yep. It's fun. When, I mean, when you do find somebody that's close to you, it's like you don't even know them from the next person on the street, but you're like instant connection. And oh, yeah. Everybody seems to be like minded. Like, you know, we, everybody that I've met so far, I mean, we all talk about the same things. And it's, it's really fun. It's, it's, it's fun. It, it is. Yes. Now, circling back to your heifers, because we kind of ran back, did a couple other things. We'll come back to the heifers. And if you're out there listening, I hope you've enjoyed this little rabbit trail. How'd the heifers do? And you got the cyclops in there and that made a difference. Any other challenges? Oh, yeah. Right off the bat, I had a couple of reels and I didn't have any, what I would call like a, a mainline fence that was energized. Oh, yeah. I had a little bit of high tensile wire around the perimeter in places, but it by no means was complete. So I was using polyline to make my main divisions and then kind of circling off of them and driving a T post to make a corner. And it was, it was a lot of effort, which I mean, I was committed to it. Hey, I want to try it out, but I, I figured oh, yeah. out pretty quick, like, okay, you got to take a weekend here and there and do some infrastructure upgrades. So, yeah. and you mentioned you mentioned a T-post for a corner. What are you using for end of a fence or a run now? So now I hook my reel on, I guess you could call it Greg Judy style, where I wrap the poly wire around the hook and then hang it on the high tensile. Oh, yeah. That's a great yes. tip. 
I was trying to use jumpers for a while and they'd get lost or they'd break. It, it was just a nightmare. I saw that one day and I was like, that's genius, you know, like most Simple. things he does. Yeah, I, I cannot find my jumpers ever. They go in the pickup and I don't know where they go. Right. And you buy them like, you know, I can order them online for what, seven, eight bucks a piece. But when I run out of them, I had to get them at the co-op. The only ones that got are the Gallagher brand. They're like 25, 30 bucks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I saw something interesting on Facebook today. I've got a few Terra, Terra posts, maybe. Hmm, There's a, the post that goes in, they're about 30, 36 inches tall with a deal to hook on, but I can just set them wherever. I think American Grazing Lands has them. And I've got them, I've got a power post or it's from PowerFlex that you can hung, ha, hang multiple reels on it because when I get out there and I'm fencing and I want to make a paddock smaller and try and figure out how I hold those up, I've done different things and those things work great, but they're expensive and I'd like some more. I saw a post today on Facebook today. The guy says he uses a pitchfork, puts it in the ground and I don't know how he hooks the reel to it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to play with that and see because I'm like a pitchfork. That might work. Yeah. And. And probably ready available on any farm. Yes. I, I mean, that's one of those simple solutions. I can't wait to get out there and try it. One thing I did try out that worked semi-decent until I swapped to the style I'm doing now. It's, I was taking, I think it's two-inch PVC. I would take a standard T-post. I would kind of make me a line out where I thought my divisions would be. Oh yeah. Drive the T-post in, slide the two inch PVC over it. And then I was hose clamping either the reel, the hook of the reel right onto the hose clamp or. Oh yeah. I did another version after that with like a carabiner clip where I would hose clamp it on and then I could just hook the oh. reel onto that. And that actually worked decent. I'm not going to say it was the yeah. best because you're still out there pounding posts occasionally. Right. It, it was all right. And the good thing is when you got the PVC set up, you can just pull it off of one T-post, go down the line and slide it onto another one. Nothing well, that does kind of expedite things. Our setup that we've gone to now, so this property is basically kind of a long rectangle. And so I set up, I would call it like a, like a ladder style electric fence. So the perimeter is oh, yes. with barbed wire, five strand barbed wire and a couple of high tensiles. And then about... Every 10 acres, I put in, some of them are two wire, some are one wire. I think I've got one that's three wire. Just high tensile fence on T-posts. And I would make a division in there. I put a gate on each end and a gate in the middle. Just, you know, like the gates are like the aluminum, whatever it is, 12 gauge wire. Oh, okay. But that yeah. gives me header so I can hang my reel on there. It's powered from the, the perimeter fence. And then I can make my divisions from that to the perimeter fence or to the next header fence, I guess you could call it. I really need to come up with a better name no. for that. So that takes everything. All your poly lines are straight lines. So you've got a reel on one end, oh, yeah. just a hook on the other. So it's basically, you know, hang a reel, pull out a few posts, step them in, hook it on move the heifers, close them back off, and then pull up the one from the previous day and either set it up for the next day or put it on the wheeler. That tremendously 
I mean, it saved a lot. Of oh, yeah. I mean, I could go, I guess when I started, my moves were taking 45 minutes to maybe an hour. And now, unless I had to do something crazy, I mean, it's like 15 minutes. It's almost too fast. It's almost like you don't spend enough time out there. You kind of feel like you're cheating a little bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, do you have, what kind of water system do you have for your cattle? So the water system is still in development. I've got water at the barn in the shop, and I was kind of radiating out from that with like a thousand feet of water hose, which I recommend if that's all you have. I don't recommend if you have anything better at all. Oh, yeah. um, the water hoses are a challenge. So a couple months ago, we went from the shop out a couple thousand feet down to our south end. So basically, I've just got a water point on the south end that I can reach almost everything that doesn't have a pond in it. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, I'm still using the hoses, which I'm not a fan of, but it's baby steps. So every time I get right. a little cash, yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go buy a, a few more joints of pipe and kind of try to strategically get to where I can get the most bang for the buck for now. I would love oh, yeah. to be able to yeah. just drag the down and punch it into one of those nice, one of those Plawson valves or whatever. But oh, on yeah. that point, so the line that I ran out from the shop to that south end, I did put one of those Plawson valves. I think they're every 150 feet, 160 feet. That is so nice. When you need to move a water Are trough, they? you just pop it out of there, drag it down, plug it back in. I mean... I dream of the day that the whole place is, is like that. It's Oh, yeah. Well, I've got a, a lease property, and I've just got high tinsel down the middle of it. It's a 80. Uh -huh. So I just went straight down the middle of with one strand of high tinsel, and I feed everything off. And basically, I take the cows and a racetrack around it, and I can just do strips, and it takes me 12 posts, 10 to yep. 12, depends on my mood and how far I'm stepping. And what I'm stepping through, because some of it's not too bad. Some of it's a little bit worse. But my biggest problem with it is water. Yeah. And like you said, if I was just stringing the fence, 15 minutes, I could have the front fence, the back fence, and we'd be good to go if water wasn't an issue. What it is, I've got to leave them. I've got to leave the back fence off mm -hmm. and let them go to water, which at times I'm like, that's fine. And other times I'm like, I've got to do better. So then I make an alley. And if I make an alley, then I don't want them to walk on the alley too long. And I move it over. So for that particular property, water is a limiting factor. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've thought about a solar pump to pump it out of a pond and lay, what is that, HDPE oh, yeah, yeah. Um, pipe. I don't know if I got those layers right. But lay it under my fence so I can water off of it. Because it's leased land, so I don't want to do anything permanent because, well, in fact, I've got to contact the guy and see if I can get another lease yeah, on it. Yeah, that's, you know, that's really a big struggle. And that's a fight that I'm going to have to figure out how to chat, take on that challenge pretty quick because everything else around is, is leased ground. And, oh, yeah. Our, so our kind of culture in the area is most of the leased ground is either run conventionally or it's mm -hmm. taken for hay. So people are really oh, yeah. accustomed to kind of a year by year, or maybe every once in a while you'll find like a three-year lease or something like that. You know, when you start talking about five years or, you know, I think I heard Greg Judy talk about like 10-year and lifetime ones, nobody wants to hear any of that. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's got a lifetime one. My, my leases are 
three, five, and 10. And then the other property I graze, I don't have a lease. It's kind of, it's just yeah. an interesting agreement. Understand completely. <laughs> so, so it, it could end tomorrow. It might continue till the day after, you know, we'll see how it goes. Either people are hating it. They're running set, set stock on it, conventional, or it's hunting. Yeah. And, and right now I have the hard time I'm working on trying to convince some hunters that, Hey, let me graze your land. We can both benefit from this. Interesting enough, I've contacted some of these people with hay meadows mm -hmm. and they're like, you want to do what with my hay meadow? Graze cows? It's a hay meadow. What do you think the hay is going to? Yeah. That, so one of the only places I have leased at the moment is a, it's an 80 acre parcel that's close to me that I've been cutting for hay for the last few years. Yeah. And, you know, they ran cattle on it decades ago, but the fence is shot. Like they're, they're basically no infrastructure. And I've been working on them. I'm like, and this is something I probably should have mentioned earlier. We actually sold that main herd of, of cattle out. So all we've got, as far as me and my partner go right now that the company owns, we've only got these replacement heifers. Oh, yes. Uh, so I, you know, I talked to these guys and I'm like, Hey, you know, I'm, my hay load is going to be trailing down. Like I'm going to sell some for a few years, but I want to move out of the hay business. And uh, they're like, right. okay, you know, maybe we'll find somebody else or whatever. And I'm like, but I would be interested in running cattle on there. And they're like, well, how would that work? Because, you know, you hay it all summer and then we hunt it in the, in the fall. And I'm like, well, why don't you come over one day and look at my south pasture with heifers standing in it and the 40 deer that are out there too. And as long as you don't shoot a cow, <laughs> yes. you're not bothering me. Right. So yeah. I don't have them totally convinced yet. Um, working on it, but I hope it works because it's a really nice place and it's only a couple minutes away and oh yeah, that would be handy. But those challenges you were talking about with lease properties, I'm going to have the same ones there. Got to figure out how to tackle that beast. Yeah. My, my goal for spring of 2024 is get that water figured out over there. We had this year, well, most of the years have been fine, but 2022 was dry and I ran out of water over there and I couldn't even, I couldn't graze it all. And I'm like, I need to clean out those ponds, but then that gets into that lease thing and yeah. how much money do I want to put into it? Struggle. But I've got to figure out something. Yeah. That's the struggle yeah. on that property. There is a pond there, but the trees have grown around it. So it's either hire an excavator to come in and clean it out. Or I'm like, Hey, maybe we can get with the NRCS and punch it well out here. Oh, you yeah. know, it's just, there's options out there, but it <laughs> takes a lot of legwork. Right. They just don't fall into your lap. and um, Nothing comes easy that's worthwhile. So, right. Exactly right. Yeah. Well, Jake, wonderful conversation, but we need to go ahead and move to our overgrazing section where we take a deeper dive into one of your practices on your farm. And one thing that you had posted about a while back was your shade structure. So... Tell us how that's worked. Tell us how, how it came to be. So that delightful contraption, we call it the Shade Shanty 600, 600 square feet, basically. Oh, yeah. Cal, I think that may be one of the single most powerful things that I have put to use on that property. Oh, yes. Uh, so it originated from, you know, I started rotating in the spring. No trouble. The weather's mild. 
I didn't even think about the freight train of summer slowly lumbering away at me and the fact oh, that, yeah. so I've got a lot of trees on the perimeter of that property, but there's pretty sparse in the middle and you know, summer comes and the heat starts cranking up and I'm looking at these gals out here and I'm like, I got to do something. And I don't want to just turn them loose into the, into the pastures that have, you know, shade access. I'm like, what am I going to do? And I had seen, I think the company is serrated shade or something like that. I think that sounds correct. I've seen some beautiful, beautiful pieces of equipment way out of my budget. So, oh yeah, you know, I'm a bit of a tinkerer and my first idea is like, oh, let's head to the scrap pile and see what we got. So I dug around, found the materials, what I could kind of roughly build. And I got on Amazon and, you know, I was looking at like greenhouse shade cloths and they're really cheap. Yes. I forget that one is 20 feet wide and 30 feet long, I believe. And it was like less than 50 or maybe $75. Oh, so the shade shanty is the frame of it is six inch square tubing that came from a, the, you've seen the truck stops, the scales for the 18 wheelers, their cat brand oh, scales. Yes. Um, I got two of those poles that were damaged when somebody hit them. So the frame of it is not straight. It's got a twist in it, but it, you know what? Those heifers don't care one bit. No. The, the top part that holds the actual cloth is two inch oil field power which is a little heavy oh, yes. for the, for the purpose, but it was what was on hand. I mean, I think I spent like 150 bucks on this thing. The axle in the back is a nineties model Ford dually axle that I just cut into. And I think it's about 12 feet wide and front is just, it's just a piece of tubing with a, a ring cut in the end of that a drop on a, a ball or a panel hitch or anything like that. Oh yeah. And there's two jacks on the front. One came off of a trailer and one came off a hay baler. I mean, it's, it's literally Frankenstein jump, but I drug that thing out for the first time and it's heavy, but I, so I've got a, a mule side by side, an older one, the mule will pull it. Probably not good for the belt, but it'll do it. Oh so, yeah. That that two inch oil filled pipe's gonna be heavy and then that two or that two Yeah, inch. I I don't know exactly what it weighs. It's gonna be in the neighborhood of about three thousand pounds. My front end loader oh, will yeah. pick it up, but it's like you wouldn't want to drive very far with it. It's it's right there on the limit. So I'm gonna say about oh, yeah. three thousand pounds, give or take. But I deployed that thing the first time and it was a hot sunny day. And of course, those heifers are looking at me from the other end of the paddock and they're like, what in the world is this thing? And of course, the, the most adventurous couple come up and they kind of check it out. Cal, I think it took about 15 minutes for the rest of them to pile underneath that thing and they camped out on it. And I'm like, okay, hey, this oh. is a great success. You know, I've achieved my mission and it wasn't very expensive. It's easy to move. I didn't think about the other benefits of it. So the next day when I came out to pick, and it just so happened that it was in kind of a low area that there's a lot of, uh, I don't know exactly what it, it's called. It's a sedge grass, um, but it's pretty oh, rough. Yeah. And when it gets mature, it's got the little spiky balls on the top for the seed heads and it's pretty tough stuff. Oh yeah. You know, they'll kind of early in the year, they'll kind of nip at it, but once it's mature, no way. Well, when I came out the next day to move that thing, it was hammered flat underneath that shade structure. And I mean, there's newer everywhere. There's urine everywhere. And I'm like, 
hey, this is going to be a wheat fighter too. And so, you know, from that point forward, I look at my area that I'm giving them for the day and I would just pick out the worst 30 foot circle. And that's where I would park the structure. And the interesting thing is like, even now, so the areas that, that I planted in uh, my cool season grasses, every spot where that shade structure was, is the brightest, prettiest green. I mean, it, it's just amazing. so. So I can't wait. I want to get somebody out with a drone next summer to kind of get an aerial shot. I think it's going to look like a big polka dot map. You know, I think there's just going to be green spots everywhere. The shade structure has been, it's, it's been a pretty good tool. I've got a couple more ideas. I'd like to put my, my mineral feeder on it and stuff like that. Maybe I'll get to this winter. Maybe not. I'm I'm not sure. I've got some other things that need to be handled. Having that ability to put shade anywhere you want it and for such a, which I know not everybody's going to be in that situation, such a low amount of money. That was just, that's got to be the highest ROI thing that I've done on that property so far. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you're getting that, that fertilization, the manure and urine where you want it. And I hadn't even thought about the trampling effect you, you could get on it and disturbing that area of land right there. So if you put it on a poor piece or if you got some briars or something. Uh, An interesting addition to that, the first, so I haven't seen really any native grasses out there, which is to be expected. I mean, I just kind of started doing this, but one of those spots that I started that shade structure off, there's a plant, it's a native, it's called a long spike trident, if I remember correctly, which is a pretty low quality forage, but I didn't care because it was native and that was exciting and I had never seen that before out there. And uh, I think there's going to be some long-term benefit to the shade structure. I wish it was bigger. I I don't know exactly how, because that one will serve us about 20 to 25 head of heifers, I'd say probably 15 <laughs> yeah. to maybe 20 full grown cows. So, you know, it could be bigger, but if there's a will, there's a way. Right. Yeah. And I assume with your daily moves, you're leaving, moving it each day just with the mule. Yeah. yeah. As long as, you know, there's certain situations where I wouldn't move it. Maybe I'll just leave my back fence from the previous day and then just move their oh, yeah. front fence up. You know, that's really the neat thing about this style of management is like, Hey, you know, I need a couple extra minutes. Just give them a little bit more ground. And I, I agree that adaptiveness about it being flexible in the, what you're doing, you know, for me with the off the farm job and what I have to do with that tomorrow evening, I'll be at a wrestling match. So I don't think they're asking me to participate, which I'm glad of that, but I will be there. So I won't be moving cows tomorrow evening. So, you know, that's, that's the beauty or one of the really nice things. I can still keep them on rotation, but I have some flexibility and plan for that. That's really interesting about the Shade Shandy, Shandy 600. Sounds like it's working good for you. What if you were doing that again, what would you do different? I would probably try to lighten it up some and... Mm-hmm. And I thought about this when I was building it. I would really like to make it where I could fold it up and be able to transport oh, yeah. it down the highway for the, you know, the thought of those future lease places, which, yes. you know, it'd be a lot more work, but it would be doable. But lighten it up and make it where I could, 
at least reasonably get it down the highway. I, I mean, I, it might still end up being 10 or 12 feet wide, but that's, that's pretty acceptable around here as long as you're not going a long way. Like I, I pull oh, yeah. my grain drill down the highway pretty frequently and it's like 18 feet wide and it scares the out of me all the time. But yeah. Yeah. The South Pole Field Day from, I think, 21, it was, I think that was the one in Trenton, Tennessee. And they had some shade structures out there that was a, you know, a big square tubing. I don't know, eight, 10 inches, as I recall. I, I took pictures that was very interesting. And they had poles going up and then the pole coming across and the shade could collapse down so they could move it. And then it, it'd push back up. I took all kinds of pictures of it because I thought, I'm going to go home and build one. I think if um, I was going to tackle this one again and make it fold, so the drill pipe that's across the top is just running, you know, kind of like a, a floor joist would be. You know, they're just oh, yeah. runners. I would probably build those as a hoop that would come up from the axle and be on a pivot so you could fold them oh, together. Yeah. You probably had to pull the shade cloth off, but you could fold those oh, poles yeah. up. I see what you mean. And then when you got ready to deploy it, you could open them up and put that shade stroke. And, you know, I think maybe with like some boat winches or something like that, I think it could be done. Oh, yeah. I was kind of yeah. in a time for, crunch. So that's one opted for just yeah. welded up because I knew I could get this done in like two days and get it out there. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it worked. And for our listeners listening on podcast, we are using hand <laughs> gestures to describe it. It is available on YouTube if you want to hop over there and see our really elaborate <laughs> hand gestures, how it's made. I'm a big hand signal fan. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I got to talk with your hands. I don't know how people do without nope. it. Well, Jake, moving on from there to our famous four questions, same four questions we ask of all of our guests. I hope you've studied. Our first question, what's your favorite grazing grass related book or resource? Well... Considering that Charlie Massey kind of kicked me off, highly recommend that one. Now, it's not per se a grazing book or anything like that, but it's a, it's a good journey starter. It's a, it's a good kickstarter. Another one that I've just picked up that I haven't finished, and I did not jot down the gentleman's name, but it's ranching like a 12-year-old. I can't call his name. It's Tom something, but there's some interesting ideas in there that I haven't heard before. and I'm really looking forward to trying some of those out next year. Some different perspectives, different management. And like I said, I, I'm going to definitely try out some of those tricks that he's got. That You know, I've not, I don't know, six months ago, I hadn't heard of that book or even maybe even three months ago. But it seems like in the last few months, I've heard of this book, Ranching Like a 12-Year-Old. Somebody, and... it may have been the Herd Quitter podcast, interviewed him. The author, oh, he's yes. kind of a sleeper. Like, he's he's got a few YouTube videos kind of outline what he talks about in his book, but he doesn't do a lot of interviews, and he doesn't have a big social media presence. And oh, yes. I think that was where I actually heard about it. I'm like, well, hey, I'll, you know, I hear a good book. I'm always willing to try it out. So. Oh. I'm always yeah, game. Absolutely. I'll have to add that one in. When I first heard it, I thought the title reminds me how not to go broke ranching, yeah. you know, which is a really good book. And I hear that title. I'm like, wait, that's not the same book. He had a couple of high school girls helping him in the summer. And he was like, you know, we've got it set up where these two girls can move these by themselves. I'm like, that's, that's oh, efficient. Yeah. 
Yes, it is. Definitely a good read. I would I would check it out. Well, very good. You've given me two (laughs) books that I haven't read, so that's that's always great. Always more to do. Our second question: What is your favorite tool for the farm? Well, I actually brought it with me because it never leaves my side, and it's not per se exactly a farming tool. But these little jewels right here. This is Nipex. It's a German company. It's K-N-I-P-E-X. And this is the Cobra model. But anybody oh, the Cobra who model. has ever yeah. struggled with channel lock pliers, these are the most amazing things ever created. They're like 35 bucks Those- on Amazon. I go through a pair about every three months. I'll wear them out. I mean, I use them for which my day job, I'm a, I'm a millwright, so... I probably use them a little more than most people would, but still, I was trying to think, I'm like, what is something that I use all the time that nobody's mentioned before? Because everybody's like, ah, the internet or this charger or that puts post. I'm like, all those things are great, but what do I use every day? And man, when I don't have those pliers, it's just, I got to have, they're fabulous. Well, that Nipex brand, however you say it, is so nice. I have a lineman pair of pliers oh, yeah. from them. It's my favorite. I didn't even know they made these others. I'm going to have to look into that. They're those, good. I want to send them an email, see if I can get them to make fencing pliers. That would just, oh, that'd yeah. be the end all yeah. for me. That that would be amazing. Well, I, I've always been a fan of lineman pliers, and I am just as impressed. In fact, I brought them in one day, and they were in a coat or something. And so next time I was outside, it must have been last spring, as we changed over to spring, I'm outside and I can't find them in the pickup. And I always put them in the door of my pickup. So I know right where they are. I know right where they are right now, because if I need them, I need them there. I hunted all over for those things. And I went a couple weeks before I found them under a coat. Yeah. I was, I was about to buy another pair. (laughs) I keep a, it's actually funny. I keep a new pair on standby. Just Oh, when these finally have had it, you know, I'm ready for a new pair. I'll, I'll get out the new ones and then I'll recycle these back to the junk drawer in the kitchen. Oh yeah. Sounds like a good program. Our third question, Jake, is what would you tell someone just getting started? I think the biggest thing for me, there's a lot of good information out there in the world, but make sure you apply it in your context. I, I hear so many great tips that work fabulous for somebody else's situation and maybe they will work in mind. Maybe they won't, but that's the biggest thing is, you know, be conscious of your own context and use those for stepping stones. That's, I think a lot of us are looking and I was too, I was looking for a prescription like, Hey, I need to do this, this, and this, and I'll have success. And it's just not out there that when I really, which I, I shouldn't say got started. I mean, I've just started this journey but when i really figured out that i couldn't you know replicate somebody else's system in my situation and have the same result that was what helped the most you know you gotta you gotta pave your own way and you know there's nothing wrong with listening to all the other guys out there gals too but just make sure you can put it in your own context yes you've got to glean what what works for you out of it what you want to try and use and i know as a beginner or someone looking at this you're you're like, just give me the recipe right. and I'll go bake it. And and while that'll get you so far, it won't get you the whole way. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And Jake, lastly, where can others find out more about you? Well, 
I'm not a huge social media guy. I am on Facebook frequently. That's what pretty much everybody uses around here. And it's just my name, Jake D. Woody. For some reason, somebody wants to chat, hit me up on there. If you do put in there, like why you're hitting me up. Cause I, I have gotten quite a few messages over the, the last couple of years. They're like, you know, sent you a friend request. Why didn't you accept it? I'm like, well, I don't know who you are. Like, give me some info. Why are you contacting me? You know? On the Facebook, I, I get that. Yeah. Uh, just Jake D. Woody. I do have a fairly poorly executed YouTube channel that is Terrapinet Creek Farm. And I will send that to you because it's a mouthful. Oh, yeah. That sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll put it in our show notes. There's, there's not a lot on there. I kind of, so every year I start, I say start, I'll pick a skill that I want to explore a little bit. And last year for me, that was videography and so i'm like oh, what am i gonna do well i'm doing some crazy stuff let's put it on youtube maybe somebody will watch it so far like 40 people have watched it i haven't put much on there recently i hope to get back to that because it's a lot of fun i i enjoyed youtube videos i i've got some up and i think all the time i'm gonna start doing a few more it just gets to be a time issue yeah for it's me. a challenge um, and and you know to break that algorithm you've got to be consistent with your your videos you and do. it's just yeah. you know for a guy that's working a full-time it's like you yeah, i commend you to no end doing this podcast every week i mean that's a it's a monumental amount of effort and well thank you appreciate I, it i'm certainly appreciative um, of it i look forward to it every week well good good i i'm glad to hear that you know i tell people all the time well first thing i tell them the host isn't very good but the guests are and then i tell them you know I started this so I could have these conversations. I just happened to record them and share them with others. I get so much benefit out of this. Talking to, to others on the same type of journey, it just energizes me and keeps me going. I never was a podcast way. person. I only vaguely had an idea of what they were until I found that, that Charlie Arnott podcast. And then I'm Hell like, yeah. wait a minute, there's people that do podcasts about farming and ranching. I'm like, sign me up. Now I've got, you know, a dozen on there every week and it's, oh. it's beautiful. And I find new ones all the time that are, you know, they're on episode 200 right. and I'm like, where have they been hiding? I, I've searched and searched. I found one tonight because Spotify sent out the rap and I don't know. I've got my daughter at home is just, she's like, you. It came in today. You got to look it up. So I looked it up and I actually had a Spotify rap for the podcast, which I shared on Instagram, but it was interesting right. seeing all that information. But in doing so, I was looking, I found a podcast that I'm like, oh, I need to listen to that. Yep. So I, I run out of time to listen to everything I want oh, to listen absolutely. to. Yeah. Well, Jake, we really appreciate you coming on and sharing with us today. Well, I enjoyed it. I hope maybe somebody else will enjoy it. That's the same thing I say on my YouTube videos. Like I had a good time. I hope everybody else does too. Quite a pleasure. Yeah, I'm sure people will get benefit from it. <laughs> I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. I know I did. Thank you for listening. And if you found something useful, please share it. Share it on your social media. Tell your friends, get the word out about the podcast. Helps us grow. If you happen to be a grass farmer and you'd like to share about your journey, go to grazinggrass.com and click on Be Our Guest. Fill out the form and I'll be in touch. We appreciate your support 
by sharing our episodes and telling your friends about it. You can also support our show by buying our merch. We get a little bit back from that. Another way to support the show is by becoming a Grazing Grass Insider. Grazing Grass Insiders enjoy bonus content, monthly Zooms, and discounts. You can visit the website, grazinggrass.com, click on support, and they'll have the links there. Also, if you haven't left us a review, please do. It really helps us as people are searching for podcasts. And I was just checking them, and we do not have very many reviews for 2024. So if you haven't left us a review, please do. And until next time, keep on grazing grass.